I want you to take your Bibles and go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy 4. And I'm preaching tonight on this subject, don't wait too late. Don't wait too late. From 2 Timothy chapter 4, would you stand for the reading of the Word of God all over the house, everybody standing? 2 Timothy chapter 4. And I'm going to read Paul's last words to a young preacher named Timothy. Paul is about to die. Teenager's about to cut his head off. And Paul's writing a letter to his young preacher friend, Timothy. And he begins in verse number 9 of 2 Timothy 4. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, Crescens to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. And Tychicus have I sent to Ephesus. The cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee in the books, but especially the parchments. And then that one arresting line of scripture, verse 21, where Paul says, do thy diligence to come before winter. I'm preaching tonight on this subject, don't wait too late. Don't wait too late. Thank God for the reading of his precious perfect book. Please be seated and pray with me around the house. Would you do that? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed all over the building. God, I stand here again trembling. God, uh, Lord, I'm doing, I believe, what you would have me do right now. And I believe you want this message preached tonight. God, I just want to stand and preach as a messenger. God, would you loose me? God, would you fill me? God, would you set me free and let me go to preach the word of God? Father, would you bind every devil and demon spirit and those that try to hinder? May no precious seed be snatched away tonight. And God, right now, I pray in the name of Jesus that somebody would hear this message with urgency, that I might preach it tonight, God, as if it were the last time I would ever stand to preach. God, would you use this simple word for your glory and our good and we promise to praise you and thank you right now in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Proverbs 20 verse 6 says, God is looking for faithful men and women. I still love that great old story of the 85-year-old great-grandmother that went to her children and grandchildren's church one Mother's Day. And she was in there to worship and praise God. She was a shouting a holiness woman. And they went to a dull, dry, dead Baptist church. Well, the choir began to sing about the blood of the Lamb, and that little holiness woman, five foot tall, couldn't stand it. She jumped on top of the pew and started shouting, hallelujah, hallelujah. When she did, an usher in a bright red blazer with a gold name tag came up and slid beside her and said, ma'am, you're going to have to be quiet here. You're destroying the dignity of our service. She said, I can't help it. I can't help it. He said, well, you're going to have to shut up. Well, the choir sang a song about heaven. And she started hopping up and down on the pew saying, come quickly, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And another usher in a bright red blazer said, ma'am, you're destroying the dignity of our service. She said, I can't help it. I got the joy of the Lord. He said, well, lady, you didn't get it here, so you're going to have to shut up and just be quiet. Well, about that time, the choir finished with a great crescendo, and before her kids could stop her, that little diminutive 85-year-old five-foot woman got loose, started running up and down the aisles of the church, screaming, thank you, Jesus, for saving my soul. Thank you. Boy, they had to get her out of there. About that time, one usher in a bright red blazer was on one side of her, 
One usher and a bright red blazer on the other side of her. They lifted that little woman up by the elbows. And they're carrying that woman out of the church. She was that high off the ground kicking and screaming, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. One of the ushers said, oh, shut up, lady. What do you mean you're not worthy? She said, I'm not worthy. When my Lord came into Jerusalem, he just had one donkey. It's taken two donkeys to carry me out of this place tonight. Now, son, I'm going to tell you, that little woman wasn't going to shut up, was she? You know what she was going to do? She was going to keep on. And I've got a message for somebody tonight. That precious little woman was not going to quit. Have you noticed how many people seem to be quitting in the body of Christ? Have you noticed how many people seem to be giving up? Have you noticed how many people don't understand that we're in this for the long haul? Can I tell you what I'm preaching tonight? I'm preaching a message from the man of God, the Apostle Paul, who talks about getting serious for Jesus, doing what God saved you to do, and don't wait too late. Don't wait too late. That's the message the old preacher, Paul, is given to the young preacher, Timothy, in 2 Timothy 4. Now, teenagers, Paul has led Timothy to Jesus. He has mentored Timothy. He's grown Timothy up in the faith. But now Paul needs something from the young man that he has discipled. Paul is in prison. He's waiting for a crazy emperor named Nero to come cut his head off because he's been preaching about Jesus. And so Paul writes Timothy, who's a thousand miles away, and he says, Timothy, I need you to bring me some stuff. That's what he says. I've got some things I want you to bring me. Now, I'm going to say it one more time. Paul's in a Roman prison cell. Timothy is pastoring a church in Ephesus a thousand miles away. The only way for Paul or for Timothy to get to Paul is to get on a boat and cross the Mediterranean Sea. That's the only way. And Paul gives Timothy those incredible traveling instructions in verse 21. Look what Paul says one more time. He says, do thy diligence or make your best effort, that's what he's saying, to come before winter. Now, winter, get your mind off freezing temperatures. Uh, get, get your mind off ice and snow. That word winter in the Greek means stormy season. It means the rainy season. You need to understand the boats did not travel the med in the winter. You need to understand the winter was treacherous and turbulent. Nobody put their life on the line in them wooden ships to try to get across the Mediterranean when the winter came. When the winter came, trade stopped. When the winter came, the ports were closed. When the winter came, the docks were locked down. So everybody understand what Paul's saying to Timothy. Paul's saying, Timothy, you better get here before spring or you won't get here. Paul was saying to Timothy, don't wait too late. And though this message is 2,000 years old, I believe Paul is saying it to somebody in this building tonight through the Word of God. But I don't believe he's saying, don't wait too late. I don't believe he's saying that to you. I believe he's saying there's an urgency. Late may be much later than you think it could possibly be. You may be in winter right now in your life, no matter your age, and you don't even know it. I believe Paul is saying to somebody here, you better do it right now. Can I go ahead and tell you, somebody here better not wait too late to get saved. If you wait too late, that good old gospel ship's going to sail without you. If you wait too late, you're going to miss heaven and make hell. If you wait too late, you're going to die without God. Somebody here better not wait too late to put Jesus first. Somebody here better not wait too late to become the head of your family. Somebody better not wait too late to get your spiritual priorities in order. Somebody better not wait too late. Matter of fact, I'm going to tell you, there's three kind of people here tonight that don't need to wait too late. Number one, somebody don't need to wait too late to serve the Lord. I'm going to say that one more time. 
Somebody don't need to wait too late to serve the Lord. Look what it says in verse 9. Paul says, do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. I love the word diligence. Literally in Greek it means put your best foot forward. It's a motivation word. Comes from a word that means now. In other words, he's saying, Timothy, put the pedal to the metal, boy. I want you to get here right now. It's a motivation word. Preacher, I was preaching at a church in Florida several years ago. I, I don't preach in Florida a lot anymore. My home state, I think they found out about me down there or something. But I was preaching in Florida, and it was a big old country church that was an old building. Beautiful church, but an old building. Preacher, I got there on Sunday morning. I got the chance to stay home that night. It was about three hours from my home. And I got there, and the preacher met me on the front yard. Preacher met me on the front yard and said, oh, Brother Rick, I'm so excited. We had the most exciting prayer meeting Wednesday night we've ever had. I said, tell me about it. He said, all right. He said, about 100 people gathered around the altar, and we're praying on Wednesday night. And he said, all of a sudden, preacher, one of them old ceiling tiles gave way. They had them old ceiling tiles, and they were about rotten. said, one of them old ceiling tiles gave way, and a five-foot rat snake fell straight down on top of the pulpit. Said that thing hit the pulpit, pow, it's like a gunshot. Said that thing started slithering all over the stage. He said, Rick, I've never seen so much shouting and dancing in a Baptist church in all my life when that snake was crawling. Now, folks, I only wanted to know two things because I'm afraid of snakes. I hate them all. Do you understand me? Son, they're all the devil's relatives. They all going to burn in hell. I hate them all. Red, yellow, black, or white. And don't some of you funny boys go get a rubber snake at Walmart and mess with me. There might be a redneck reckoning. Y'all understand me? I'm telling you, hey, the only good snake is a dead snake. I hate them all, man. Now I'm telling you, I only want to know two things. I, because I, I'm afraid of them, I want to know, did they fix that hole in the roof? And second, I want to know, did they catch that snake? Why, Brother Shane, could you imagine three days later me preaching and one of his relatives fall down on me? I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what I'd have done. I'd have spoken in an unknown tongue. That's what I, I'll tell, tell you what I'd have done, son. Teenagers, I'd have made the 100-meter Sprint team on the Olympics, I'd have made it. I'm an old geezer, but I'd have made it. i tell you what I'd have done. I'd have slapped it in beef for boogie boys, and I'd have been out of the house. And I'll never forget what that preacher said, because this will preach. He said, all I know, Rick, is when that snake fall, fell, it sure shook up the church. And I thought, you know, I'm in a lot of churches need to get shook up. So we don't need to get shook up when a snake falls. We need to get shook up when the spirit falls. Because I'm telling you, when the Spirit falls, He shakes us out of our lethargy and apathy. When the Spirit falls, He shakes us out of our self-righteous living, shakes us out of the seats, shakes us on fire for Jesus. And there's somebody here, though I love you, though it's a Tuesday night and you're in revival, somebody here tonight needs to get shook up about serving the Lord. Don't wait too late to serve the Lord. Can I spend the first point of this sermon just talking about serving the Lord? And I want to say two things about serving the Lord. Number one, serving the Lord is the duty of the Christian life. I want you to look what he says now in verse 10. Teenagers, he's talking about a guy here, Demas. He says, for Demas has forsaken me. Then he says, having loved this present world. Now, here's what we know about Demas. We know that Demas is mentioned at least three times in the New Testament. And every time he's mentioned, he's doing something for God. Except for right here. He's mentioned in the little book of Philemon where Paul calls him a fellow laborer. He's mentioned in the book of Colossians chapter 4 where Paul says he's assisting Dr. Luke on a mission trip. Then Paul mentions him here and says this labor for the Lord has left the building. 
that Demas was once serving, but he's not serving now. And this is the language of a soldier that's gone A-W-O-L. You know what that word loved means? For the Bible says, Demas has forsaken me having loved this present world. That word loved in your Bible is not agape. That word love is not brotherly. That word loved means to love the world in a social sense. In other words, Demas fell more in love with the world than he did with the Lord. Fell more in love with the world than he did the church. I come from an incredible family. My godly preacher daddy went home to be with Jesus last January a year ago. And I'm one of six brothers and sisters. Back in the day, the first country church my daddy pastored, church was our whole life. And I remember when I was a little boy, uh, uh, I, I don't know how old I was, but I had a brother two years under me that's also a preacher. At that time, I only had two sisters. And there would be many Sunday afternoons, we'd come home from church. One of the kids would say, let's play church. And that's what we'd do. We'd play church. I was always the preacher. My brother always led the music. And my two sisters were the two-voice choir. Son, I remember one Sunday, my brother got mad at me, and he wanted to preach. And I said, you're not preaching. And we got in a fight right there in the living room. I beat him up with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I said, you're not preaching. And not only that, one of my two sisters in the choir wanted him to preach, so the church was split right down the middle, man. And so my brother got mad and said, I'm just going to watch the NFL game. I'm going to turn on the right there in the living room, preacher, right there in the middle of church. My brother's watching a football game. My brother and the, my sister in the choir went in to preach said, I'm going to go play with my dolls. She walked out. That left me and my little young sister. We went out on the front porch and started our own church. You could tell we were little Baptists, can't you, son? We started our own church, the front porch church. And I preached to her for a while till she got bored, wanted to go play with her toys. Left me on the porch. True story. And I'm preaching to our little dog, our little beagle dog, till he fell asleep. I'm going to tell you all, I was a discouraged young preacher that day. So you know what? You know what suddenly occurred to me, preacher? My whole church is falling apart. I got one that loves football more than he loves church. I got one that loves dolls more than she loves church. I got one that loves toys more than they love church. But that's that little children's game we played. It was called playing church. Now, I'm going to tell you something right now. That's a children's game. But I believe there are millions of professing Christians in America that do the same thing every Sunday. I mean, it's just playing church. It's just I'm going to come if it's convenient. I'm going to get involved if nothing else takes up my time. I'm going to serve the Lord if nothing else calls for my attention. Oh, come on, son. We got men in our churches that would pay to coach a little league football or baseball team. You couldn't pay them to teach a Bible class. We've got women in our churches that will break their neck and back working in the concession stand at the high school football game. You can't get them to help out in the church kitchen. We've got teenagers and adults in our church. They'll spend thousands of dollars to send their kids all across the country at every kind of camp you can imagine. They wouldn't spend money to send them to a Bible camp. I mean, we're living in a generation where folks in this day and age, many of them have become so casual about their church attendance, and especially in a great church, a big church like Maysville. This is a great church. Uh, do you know one of the dangers, can I tell you because I love you, is that this church is so wonderful and there's so many people involved. Somebody here might look around one day and say, well, there's a big church here. There's a lot of people doing something. It don't matter whether I do nothing or not. I'm telling you, that's a lie from the pits of hell. For I want you to know if you're saved, blood-bought, you're a gifted child. And I want you to know it's the duty of the Christian life to serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. I was preaching in Missouri 
four or five years ago when this woman named Amy come up to me. Amy was 25 years old. She said, Brother Rick, I'm going to tell you a story you can tell anywhere in the country. Would you do that? And I need to stop for a second, Brother Shane, because I know when I tell this story in the modern day church, I know some of you are going to be put out with me now. Some of you might put me on pause for a few minutes, go to your little happy place because you're, you're thinking I'm, I'm, I'm meddling now because I know the subject I'm fixing to talk about is a tender subject and I don't want anybody to misunderstand me. My boy played baseball for 14 years. I love ball, I love sports, but here's the story Amy told me, and I'm telling it just like she told me. She said, Brother Rick, when I was an eight-year-old girl, I was a gifted soccer player. I was invited to play on one of the elite travel soccer teams in Missouri, and it ratcheted up as you got older. They actually had men that paid for jets to fly us to the deep south to play almost year-round. So we started, and my daddy, who was a deacon in a Baptist church, my mama was a choir member and a Sunday school teacher, sounded good because they said they'd have devotions for us on the road. Said, but you know, Brother Rick, that didn't last. After a while, they either didn't go to the devotions, or even when we got back home and had a free Sunday, we were so out of the habit of going to church, we didn't really go to church. And I got to tell my dad and mom had lost that zeal. Though I look back on it now, I couldn't tell it then or didn't realize it then. I look back now and realize that's what was going on. She said, but Brother Rick, we kept going up, and I got to be 12 or 13, and she said, then it happened. One day, my daddy couldn't go out of town. Those trips are expensive. My mama went. She said, while us girls were out on the practice field preparing for a Sunday game, my mama and another father who went that weekend without his wife began an extramarital affair. Said their marriage fell apart. My parents' marriage fell apart. Said they ended up in a bitter divorce. My dad married, uh, my mom married that, that man and we ended in a bitter divorce. And now uh, they're in separate states. They live far away, don't like each other at all, never talk to each other. But Brother Rick, I was good enough to get a college scholarship. I went to college to play soccer. I was a partier. I was a lost church member. I knew about Jesus, but I wasn't saved. She said, in my junior year, I was in a terrible automobile accident, and I would have been killed, but by the grace of God, I would have gone to hell. When I was a senior, I went to a campus service on our college campus where a young man preached the gospel, and I got saved. Shortly after that, God called me to the mission field. I'm married to a wonderful man. I have wonderful children. I'm home on furlough, but I'm on the mission field. And preacher, that woman looked at me with tears rolling down her face. And I'm not making this up. This is a direct quote. She said to me, I wrote it down. She said, Brother Rick, would you tell audiences everywhere how much it cost us? She said, I lost my parents, as it were. We lost our family. I almost lost my life. And it was all because we put a soccer ball in front of Jesus. Can I tell you, one day you and I are going to stand before Jesus Christ. And on that day, I love you when I tell you this, some Christians are going to be heartbroken when they look at the nail-pierced hands of Jesus and realize they gave all their time and all their money and all their energy and all their passion to things that did not last. The duty of the Christian life is to serve the Lord. But I've come to encourage you. And by the way, I'm preaching what I'm supposed to preach tonight. Not only the duty of the Christian life, can I just encourage you, it's also, also the delight of the Christian life to serve the Lord. Now, somebody needs this, man. I'm talking delight. Look what it says now in verse number 11. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark. And this was the Mark that was the cousin of Barnabas. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. I'm going to preach to you. That word profitable means useful. Do you understand who this guy Mark was? He wasn't some famous evangelist. He wasn't some kind of gospel singer. He wasn't some kind of soloist. He was one of those behind-the-scenes guys. That's what old Mark was. In other words, he just did what he did to serve the Lord with what he had. He wasn't anybody famous. 
That's who Mark was. And then I read about these people, Brother Shane, in, in these epistles, especially verse 12. Verse 12 says, and Tychicus have I sent to Ephesus. And you never heard him. Nobody names their babies Tychicus. I hope we don't have a Tychicus here tonight. I mean, if you do, it's a beautiful name. I just want you to know that. But nobody's going to name their baby Tychicus. I mean, if you'll look through this epistle right here in that fourth chapter, there's like, I don't know, 18, 19, or 20 names. If you'll look through all of Paul's epistles, you'll see about 100 names of people that you only hear of once or twice in the Word of God. That's all. And then they're, then they're not mentioned again. You know who they are? They're not spiritual celebrities. They're not Christian superstars. They're people that work behind the scenes. Does everybody know that's what the church is made up of? It's made up of the people behind the scenes, man. Oh, come on. Can I tell you, we're living in a generation of the electronic church where there are people that sit back and think, well, if I can't preach like my preacher, and I can't hold a microphone and sing like this dear sister that blessed us tonight, and if I can't even sing in the choir, and if I can't play an instrument, I'm really not much used to the body of Christ. I'm just going to come and get lost in this big old crowd. And can I tell you, nothing could be further from the truth. Are you listening to me? Can I tell you the heroes, the heroes of the Maysville Baptist Church? Some of the heroes of the Maysville Baptist Church, it's, it's those that do all the little things behind the scenes. I'll tell you the heroes, it's the ladies that are in the nursery rocking a baby that's not even theirs, son. I'll tell you the heroes rows of the church. It's that preschool worker that's teaching children and picking up trash and trying to calm down Junior with A-D-D-D-D-D. I mean, those are the heroes of the church. Oh, come on, son. I mean, the kid probably ate red jello or came uh, eating chocolate or something. He's buzzing the walls and you're about to quit because you're thinking, man, I never get bragged on. Nobody ever talks about me. I mean, it's the truth. Even, even students it's never been harder to work with students in a day. Not that they're not worth it. Students, I love you. But I know, according to statistics, I got 12 seconds to engage you when I get up to preach. If I don't get you in 12 seconds, you're in la-la land or, or you're texting some boy or some girl. I mean, I got 12 seconds, man, in your fast modem world. And how can I do that, preacher? I can't dress slick enough. Can you imagine me in skinny jeans and spiked hair? Well... Skinny jeans, but the other one's out of the question, of course. And you know what? I could try to be cool. I could come out here with a hat cocked on the side of my head. Nothing more disgusting than a man my age trying to look cool. Skinny jeans, I could walk all bent over like a 13-year-old that looks like he's got rheumatoid arthritis. I could limp around, go stuff like yo dog and stuff like that. But son, that's not going to help some teenager. But I tell you what does help them, just like the children and the students. Do you hear me, nursery worker? That, that little child whose diapers you're changing today will one day be changed by the Word of God. And that makes it worth it all. That little preschool boy or girl that you're teaching that Bible to today, one day that little boy may pick up the book and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That little girl may go on the mission field. She may be married to a preacher and serve in a church. And that teenager, that teenager you think's not listening, may walk down that aisle, give his life to Jesus. The Holy Ghost come in there. I'm telling you, it's worth it. Worth it all to serve the Lord, son. Worth it all. You know what I'm telling you? Do what God's gifted you to do. You're a gifted child. And it's a delight. Oh, come on. It's a delight. Don't you understand who we are? We're the army of God. We're the bride of Christ. We're the building of the Lord. We're the blood-bought church. We're soldiers in the army. Thank you, Jesus, for the privilege to serve you. Well, somebody here needs to serve the Lord. 
Don't wait too late to serve the Lord. Number two, going to get good now. Number two. First of all, don't wait too late to serve the Lord. Number two, don't wait too late to share your love. I'm going to say that one more time. Don't wait too late to serve the Lord. Don't wait too late to share your love. Now watch this, teenagers. Look at verse 13. The cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee. Paul wants him to bring him a coat. Now that word bring means to sacrifice. Literally. Understand, he's asking this old boy to go out of his way. To go from one city where he's pastoring to go to another place and pick up this stuff. And then get on a boat and make a thousand, not a cruise, thousand mile arduous trip across the med to come see him. You know what he's asking Timothy to do? He's asking Timothy to share his love. Because when you make a sacrifice for anything, you share your love. I've got four little granddaughters. I've told you, and that little grandson, my little granddaughter, Ansley's a hoot. I told you about her the other night. She's the one that had the bad day at Christmas. Ansley's a mess. And Ansley is an eating machine. She will not share anything. She, she loves me with all of her heart. I'm her hero. She won't give me a corn chip. She won't give me an M&M. She won't give me one half of one piece of Reese's Pieces. I mean, she won't share nothing. And her mother's concerned about it. Because when it comes to eating, buddy, she'll share nothing. Matter of fact, her mama, my daughter, told me this story. Last year, she picked her up her six-year-old daughter, Braylon, from kindergarten, picked her up. She's in her car seat. Little Ansley's four at the time. She's in her car seat. Ansley's just sitting back there, the one that won't share. My six-year-old granddaughter sitting on this side. So my daughter thought she'd help her with a hypothetical math question. <laughs> and she said, Braylon, she said, suppose Ansley had five French fries, the four-year-old, and she gave you three of them. How many would she have left? And that little four-year-old spoke up and said, uh-uh, she can't have my French fries. And then she said, I already ate them. She was willing to eat imaginary French fries before sharing with her sister, man. And her mother, my daughter, said, Daddy, I'm really concerned about it. Please pray that she learns how to share before she grows up. And I said this, honey, I will, but there's a lot of full grown-ups in the church that still don't know how to share. It's the truth. And I know some of you are nervous because you think, boy, here comes the tithing sermon. He's going to preach on money. Some Baptists get redneck mad when you preach on money, man. I mean, because somehow they think their money's theirs. I'm not fixing to preach on money. I'm fixing to preach on sharing. Can I give you a good goal for the rest of this year? Share, become a sharer. In this day where we just involve ourselves, become a sharer. Can I just leave you with this before I go to my last point? Can I just encourage you to share two things this year if you're not sharing them right now? Number one, you can share your love in two ways. Number one, share your love by being an encouragement. Boy, you need to hear that. I'm telling you, somebody needs this. Verse 13, the cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, bring with you. Teenagers, the coat. Now, nothing super spiritual about this. It's a heavy wool blanket. Everybody got it? Just a heavy wool blanket. It went all the way to the ground, scholars believe. Some say it had a hood. Some didn't. Some said it didn't, but it went all the way to the ground. Folks, that's super spiritual here. Paul's an old man. It's getting cold. It's not long before winter. Paul, in that old damp Roman prison cell, just wants his boy to bring him a cloak, a coat. Preacher, I'd never seen this before, and I just needed it at a time in my life when I saw it. It just jumped out at me one day. It suddenly occurred to me, you know what the old man in prison's asking? He's asking the young preacher to come cover him. I'm going to say that one more time. He's asking the young preacher to come cover him. He's asking him to cloak him. And then you know what hit me? We're all in the cloaking business. 
All of us that are saved are carrying a cloak. All of us are in the cloaking business. We're in the business of cloak, not clocking each other. We're in the business of cloaking each other, carrying a cloak. Oh, come on, son. Encouragement. We got enough discouragement in the modern day church. I preached about it briefly last night. I'm just going to go on with it. So we, we got enough folk that are looking to bring people down. It just bothers me. I was preaching in a church a couple years ago, and seven people got saved in the morning service. And after the service, I'm in the lobby. Everybody's rejoicing. And this old boy come to me, a church member, church member, and he had that look, had that scowl. And, you know, they just got that look. You can just tell they got something on their mind. I mean, it's just a, it's just a, almost like something doesn't take, it's like they got gas. It looks like they've got gas. I, I mean, they just look nauseous, man. Can I go ahead and tell some saying to God, nobody expects you to grin all the time, but when you come to church, you've got permission not to look like the picture on your driver's license, man. It's all right. This old boy comes to me with a scowl on his face. Preacher, I'm not making this up. Pointing to his watch, 42 minutes, preacher. Put it in my face. He didn't know me. He said, you went 42 minutes. And you know what's amazing, Brother David? I ought to be more mature than this. He just knocked the chocks right out from under me. I mean, everybody around me is rejoicing, talking about God. Your preacher can preach next Sunday, and 500 people can tell him the sermon blessed him, and one old fuss budget can walk up to him and say something negative, and it'll just knock him right down. It's amazing how the devil uses that. That old boy just knocked me right down. I thought, preacher, he's got the wrong number in mind. The number is not 42, the number's seven. But I mean, that's how some folks, some folks just build discouragement. Can I just lay this on somebody in this happy church? Heard a preacher say this, and I wrote it down in my Bible. I never forgot it. Mark this down. If you attend a church, you ought to defend that church. And if you defend that church, you ought to commend that church. And if you can't defend and commend the church you attend, you ought to go somewhere else. And if you're looking for the perfect church, please, if you find it, don't join it because you will ruin it, man. Can I get a witness? There is a, what I'm trying to say is we're not in the business of, of building barriers. We're in the build, business of building bridges. We are cloak gatherers. We're in the cloak gathering business. God's given us this. We need each other. This is rapture practice, man. This is the closest thing to heaven we're going to have until we get to heaven. We don't need a bunch of fuss budgets and whiners and belly acres. I mean, we need one another. And it's not always going to be perfect. It's not always going to be good. But the Bible says forgive one another and put a cloak on one another. You understand it's in the Bible? This encouragement business is in the Word of God. You do understand that he encourages us in the epistles to build each other up with encouragement. The writer of Hebrews says to encourage one another day by day. You remember when old Moses got ready to leave the Israelites when God was going to take him to the promised land? God was going to take him to heaven. He couldn't go to the promised land when he hit that rock. I preached about that, I think, last night. Don't y'all remember? Old Moses stood Joshua up in front of the people. Two million of them been griped and grumbled. And old Moses said, this is Joshua. He's your new pastor. Encourage him in the Lord. You remember when Jonathan was running or David was running from Saul and Jonathan, Saul's son? came out to the woods to encourage him. He said this. He said, I've come to encourage you in God. You will be the next king of Israel. 
Remember Barnabas, the son of encouragement, encouraged the saints of God in the book of Acts when persecution was breaking loose. Folks, we're in the encouragement business. We're in the cloaking business. And can I tell you real quick how to cloak somebody? There's several ways. You can cloak somebody with prayer. You cloak somebody with your pen. My wife does that. She's the best at it. Preacher, when I go home, Miss Miriam, when I go home this week, I'm going to have five or six cards on the kitchen counter to sign that she's going to send out. She does it every week. With your pen. And you have no excuse for not doing it now, son, in this day of text messaging and emails. But I want to tell you one of my favorites before I go to my last point in a moment. I'll tell you one of my favorites. Cloak somebody with prayer. Cloak somebody with a pen. But cloak them with your presence. Walk across the church building and put your arms around somebody that's hurting and say, I just want to encourage you. You're not eavesdropping. You're not getting in their comfort zone. Walk across a building and put your arms around somebody. You know what you're doing? You're cloaking them. I've got 15 men on my board of directors after all these years, only 15, from around the country, mainly the southeast, ones in Missouri, Tennessee, Georgia, Alabama, a couple from Florida. Preacher, I was in a dead church last year, dead, dead. And you, you got to understand something, folks. If I hit a couple of dead churches in a row, and there's not, listen, I always look for something. God's a, something good always happens. But if you go to two dead churches in a row, it'll suck the life right out of you. I mean, folks are just looking at you like, hey, go ahead, buddy. A lot better than you've tried to revive me. And they, they, buddy, if I revive you, you're in trouble this week anyway, son. But I mean, they'll just look at you. Preach, I was in a church like that, sucking the life out of me, 75 people in a 500-seat building because they'd had two or three church fights. The preacher knew they were hurting. The whole place was hurting. And, I was just, and you know what the devil does? The devil beats me up when I'm in a church like that. He makes me, you're, you're a terrible husband because you're away from home. You're, you're, a terrible, uh, you're a terrible evangelist. Nothing ever happens. Preacher, I walked in church that night. I mean, I was just beat to the socks. And I walked in church, and on the front row was a fellow named Brother Cook. Brother Cook lives in North Carolina, and he was about two hours away. And I knew it took him two hours to get there. He left his job that day, students. And that guy walked over to me in the corner, put his arms around me, just began to hug me. He said, Brother Rick, I don't know why, but God sent me tonight. God told me to come. I left work early, and I've just come. I wanted to encourage you. That old boy prayed for me. I'm just crying like a baby. That old boy's praying for me, and son, he sat right on the front row, and he was the only one in the building saying amen that night, but that old boy about preached me into a coma, son. I'm telling you, he was just letting it rip, and after the service, he come over and prayed for me again, and he said, Brother Rick, keep your head up. God's using you. Preacher, I'm telling you, I'm a grown man. Did you hear me? But I went back to my room about that far off the ground, but you know what that man did? He put a cloak on me. That's what he did. He cloaked me. See, we're in the cloaking business. So can I just encourage somebody, don't wait too late. Don't wait too late to send that card, send that email. Don't wait too late to pick up the phone and pray for somebody. Don't wait too late to share your love by being an encourager. And this one and then my last point. It's almost what I preached last night. Don't wait too late to be an evangelist. Because look what he says in the rest of that 13th verse. The cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus when you come, bring with you in the books, but especially the parchments. Now I'm going to tell you all something. If I ever feel like quitting, that verse just lights me up. You know why? This old man's about to die, son. But he's not sitting in the corner of a jail cell sucking his thumb. He's not about to resign. He's about to resign. He says, go ahead and bring me the books, Jewish history books, scrolls, scholars believe maybe. But what lights me up, teenagers, is the word parchments. It means animal skins. Boy's going to keep writing. 
You use the animal skins to write on. You know what Paul's saying? I'm going to keep on writing. I don't know when I'm going to lose my head, but until I do, I'm not going to lose my heart. And I'm just going to keep on writing in the name of Jesus. I'm going to keep on keeping on telling people the good news that my Lord and Savior Jesus still will save their soul. Be an evangelist. You never know who you're impacting. Anybody here ever been to the Billy Graham Library? I went, I've been several times, but I went last month when I was in Charlotte because I want to take my boy. If you've never been to the Billy Graham Library, you need to go. Think about that great day when Dr. Graham was ushered into heaven. Can you imagine the millions that met him in glory? I'm telling you, what a story. Everybody knows Billy Graham. Preached to more men than perhaps than any Christian man that ever lived, they said. Everybody knows Billy Graham. Do y'all know where it all began? You ever been there? It's on that big plaque in one of those rooms. It all began when a Sunday school teacher named Edward Kimball walked in the back of a shoe store where one of his students was attending, a young boy by the name of Moody, D.L. Moody. And he was in the back of that store, and Edward Kimball went back while he was on his break, while Moody was on his break. And on the floor of that stock room in that shoe store, he led that young man to Jesus Christ. And Moody became a dynamo for God. Grabbed one continent in one hand and one in the other and jerked him in revival. He was so full of God, he went over to England and preached, and there was a preacher in the crowd that had gotten cold. His name was F.B. Meyer. And Meyer got so worked up by the passion of the young man Moody, got so turned on for the Lord, he renewed his life, started preaching all over Europe and came to America. While he was in America, he started touring colleges preaching, and there was a young student by the name of Chapman who had a lot of doubts about God that even existed. First name was Wilbur. And Chapman came to one of those services while old F.B. Meyer was preaching. Old boy got saved, became an evangelist, traveled the country as a flaming evangelist. And there was a young man on fire for God that wanted to work for Wilbur Chapman. He was a young man that used to be a baseball player and a drunk named Sunday. What a great name for a preacher. Sunday, first name Billy. And Billy Sunday started going to Wilbur Chapman, got on fire for God, became the evangelist of his era that rocked America. And he started an organization called Business Men's Committee for Evangelism. And when he had left the scene, Charlotte, North Carolina wanted to have Sunday successors come, and they got the Businessmen's Evangelistic Committee to recommend an evangelist, and they recommended a guy named Mordecai Ham. And while he was preaching that citywide revival in Charlotte, there was a teenage boy in the back named Billy, last name Graham. And when the invitation was given, he walked down the aisle and gave his life to Jesus Christ. And he has touched more lives than any Christian in history. And everybody knows Billy Graham. And preachers know Billy Sunday and Wilbur Chapman and F.B. Meyer, and most of you have probably heard of D.L. Moody, but I'll tell you, heaven knows Edward Kimball, the Sunday school teacher that walked in that back. Oh, son, don't you tell, you never know who you're talking to, son. You might be witnessing to the next Billy Graham or the next missionary that rocks the world. Can I just encourage you? Be faithful. Don't ever lose the message. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Don't wait too late. Don't wait too late to serve the Lord. Don't wait too late to share your love. I'm done right now, very briefly. Number three, listen to this. Somebody needs this now. Don't wait too late or your soul will be lost. Go to verse 21. Do thy diligence to come before winter. Now, students, I'm not being corny. I want you to hear what I'm fixing to say. Winter. Everybody in this building has got a spring, summer, fall, winter. Just like the four seasons of life, four seasons of, of earth, 
of nature, we have four seasons. And some of you cool students, some of you 13, 14, 15-year-olds, don't look at me like, oh, preacher, I'm in spring. You just don't know. You might be in winter right now, and you don't know it. You're in winter when your life's over. I mean, God's ordered your steps. Teenagers die all the time. And you have no idea when winter comes. You might be a strapping 30, 40-year-old man. You might be in winter right now and don't even know it. I'll say it one more time. Everybody's got a spring, summer, fall, winter. You know what he's saying to Timothy? Paul was, hey, Timothy, come before winter. Don't miss the boat. And I'm going to say this to somebody in the building tonight. Don't miss the boat. If you miss the boat, it's going to sail without you. And you're going to be left behind. I'm going to say it one more time. Don't miss the boat. I want everybody to know something. You're either going to leave this world one of two ways. Because the worst thing about death is not death itself. It's what follows after death. You're going to leave here a child of God or a child of the devil. You're going to leave here on your way to heaven or on your way to hell. You're going to leave here saved or you're going to leave here lost. There is no middle ground. Everybody's going to leave here in one condition or the other. And you cannot get saved on the other side of death. If you're going to get saved, you get saved now. Some of you almost got saved when Brother Shane was preaching last Sunday or the week before. Or maybe Brother David was preaching. Somebody, some student almost got saved last year. But you put it off and put it off. And you don't wake up one day and get saved when you get ready. You get saved when the Holy Ghost calls you. And he's dealing with your heart. That voice you hear, no matter whether you like me or not, that voice inside you, that other voice, that's the Holy Ghost. And he's telling you to get saved. I don't have many stories like this, but I give you this one in closing. And it happened just like this, preacher, no embellishment. In the 1970s, I'm a product of the Jesus movement. Billy Graham himself called it the last great awakening in American history. The, the, the Jesus movement, it impacted the nation. That's where we got to say in one way to God and all that. Some of the Christian music we have today took its roots in the Jesus movement of the 70s. I'm a product of the Jesus movement. I got saved in the Jesus movement. Lost 16-year-old church members, pastor's son, I got saved. Got turned on for Jesus. So I preached my way through Bible college. Bible college, I preached those Friday, Saturday, and Sunday revivals. They were, they were phenomenal, those weekend revivals. Teenagers would come on Friday, and then by Sunday, the church would be packed, and students, so many were called to preach, so many were on fire for the Lord. I was in Bradenton, Florida. Gave an invitation on Friday night, and there was 50 or 60 students there, y'all. And students, all those students were sitting together, and they all came down, and they fell at the altar, all of them. And I could hear them weeping, preacher, and I wasn't eavesdropping, but I could hear them praying, God save Bill, God save Bill, God get a hold of Bill. It didn't take a rocket sign to see who Bill was. Bill was a tall fella standing over here all by himself because it had been vacated around him, and he was doing what we call white-knuckling the pew. Had his hands down like this, had head straight down, and that 15-year-old boy was holding on that pew, and those kids were saying, God save Bill. Found out after service because I asked the preacher who Bill is, and he told me, he said, Brother Rick, the only reason he comes is because he's got a crush on one of our girls. And that's why he's here, but he's so lost, so lost. On Saturday night, preacher, they did the same thing. They came to the altar, God save Bill, God save Bill, God save Bill. Bill stood right there. Sunday morning, same thing. That revival was rolling now. People were coming, people were getting saved. And old Bill, straight down, hands on the pew. Sunday night, last service. And you know what we sang that night, Brother David, just as I am. It's a great invitation song of the church, but it was in the 70s, man, just as I am. And that preacher stood there, pastor, because old Bill's standing there, and those kids are praying again. Kids are getting saved. Bill's standing there. That preacher said something that I hear almost every night of revival somewhere. We're going to sing one more verse. 
And I can't tell you what verse we were on, but they all follow the same pattern. Preacher, I wasn't trying to, but I'm trying not to. I'm watching Bill. I can't help it. I mean, the burden of that church. And all of a sudden, we got to the end of that verse, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. And preacher, like an electric current went through that pew. Old Bill lifted his hands like this, put his head down, walked to the end of that aisle, walked straight down the aisle, came down here, fell in the arms of that pastor. Old Bill got saved. And after the service, we had a pizza blast. Because somewhere in the Bible, it must say, thou shalt have pizza on student night. It's, 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 it's in there somewhere. We had pizza. After the service, I'm, I'm driving back to Clearwater, Florida to go to school the next day. Went to my dorm, went back. Got on the phone to take some calls. I had a number I could be reached. We didn't have cell phones in those days. Students, that's back when dinosaurs roamed the earth and we didn't have cell phones. <laughs> and I got a call. Said, somebody wants to talk to you. About 11 o'clock in the morning, it's that pastor. He said, Rick, you remember Bill? I said, hey, it was a theme of the weekend. I remember Bill. He said, you might have been the last person to ever talk to him. He said, Rick, five minutes after you left last night, because you know what Bill did at the pizza party? He walked over to me and he hugged my neck. He said, thank you for telling me about Jesus. He got on a motorcycle, left that church, four miles down the road, a drunk driver ran a stop sign, hit him, killed him instantly. He said, Rick, I'm having his funeral in a couple of days. You might have been the last person to talk to him. And preacher, I know it sounds dramatic to somebody, but I thought, don't tell me I'm not urgent. Don't tell me that. I saw an old boy get saved in the last service of the last invitation, of the last line, of the last verse, of the last song he would ever stand for. And he got saved. I'll see Bill in heaven one day. Though he only lived to be 15, he's never been more alive than he is right now. And I will see him one day. I'm telling you because I love you. You might be a cool student that think you've got plenty of time, but you're going to wake up in hell one day if you put it off and put it off and put it off. I'm going to ask everybody no movement in the building. I'm going to ask every head to be bowed, every eye to be closed. I'm, I'm going to ask our musicians to wait. Haven't done this any night. I just feel the burden of this tonight. I just believe there's somebody here tonight that needs to get saved. I believe there's somebody here tonight that may be doubting their salvation. Some, some Christian that's walking in doubt. I'm not a manipulator or a coercer, but I'm going to stand right here in front of this audience. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed, and I'm going to pray a simple prayer we call the prayer of faith. I'm going to pray it out loud. I'm going to invite somebody in the seats to pray this prayer after me. Not to me. I'm a puny preacher. I'm going to pray it aloud. You can pray it in your heart. But if you pray it and believe it, he'll save your soul right where you sit. Church, if I'm telling the truth, shout amen. Amen. I'm going to pray right now. Dear Jesus, you are speaking to me now. I need you. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. And you rose again. You are Lord. So Jesus, right now, the best way I know how, I repent of my sins. I confess you right now as my Lord and Savior. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. It is settled. I'll serve you because I love you. I'll never be ashamed of your holy name. In Jesus' name I pray.